Orchestrated Relationships, a podcast studying relational value. I'm David Homan, your host. Years ago, I formed a community of people called Connectors, people who have an innate ability to build and maintain authentic relationships across their personal and professional lives, and who thrive on making connections. The community was formed out of a need to develop a system and a methodology to help relational value be valued. And the most effective way I've found so far to champion is to champion someone else, which is why I have in front of me the incredible Ari Afsar. Ari, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Now, you are the composer of Jeanette, a musical about the first woman elected into Congress, developed at the O'Neill NMTC, where you won the Lyricist Award. You've opened for Michelle Obama, performed at the U.S. Institute of Peace, and I was there for that, Uh, presented (laughs) before Gloria, Gloria Steinem, and opened at the ACLU National Conference. You were the original Eliza in Chicago's Hamilton, which I can prove because you knew the stage manager to get me backstage access. I saw Hamilton, <laughs> uh, Miss California 2010, Top 10 at Miss America 2011, and a Top 36 American Idol alum. And you're the co-founder of Until We Do It, which provides masks to communities disproportionately affected by COVID-19. And that's your short bio. I don't even want to know. <laughs> um, when I first met you, I saw you perform. And then I saw you perform again in an intimate setting and just people absolutely flocked to you because of your sheer talent. What I didn't know at the time is how you have such an active life and passion in helping others and where you Mm -hmm. use that uh, in your community and building communities. So why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, one of the projects you're working on and its impact? Yeah, um, one of the projects... Okay, I'm going to start with uh, Jeanette um, because it's been, it's ever evolving. So uh, Jeanette is a musical based on Jeanette Rankin, who was the first woman elected into Congress four years before the ratification of the 19th Amendment. So four years before white women had the right to vote. And we were on the trajectory of being Broadway bound with a commercial producer doing a big workshop in New York, or supposed to be earlier this year, performing at the Library of Congress, supposed to all of these things happen. Now, the whole thing got shifted. Um, And so we had the really beautiful opportunity. I'm grateful to be working with some incredible collaborators who are able to think outside of the box. Um, And so for in this moment, we're like, what is the show about? What do we want to do? And how can we impact culture in order to change policy? Because that's what I believe great art does. Um, And so then we decided um, to turn the musical into a virtual musical and a virtual musical through dialogue, through music, through storytelling, through music video, and then offer this to um, every progressive candidate in any local, state, or national office. So um, in a couple of days, we are performing for a, a virtual fundraiser, this virtual musical for Tammy Duckworth. We just did it for Corey Bush a couple of days ago. We're doing a Mark Kelly in a few months. And um, and then also local uh, municipality candidates in Washington Heights. So the range is um, large and we are offering it. So I'll also say to, to any progressive candidate in which people trust and value, we want to be able to see a shift in who represents us. And we believe that this specificity of the show actually allows for that type of hope. And we always joke and we're like, we'll make people feel things or make people be emotional and then ask for money right afterwards. <laughs> I think that's absolutely beautiful. I mean, the thing that I, as I learned more about Jeanette Rankin is, you know, to be elected by none of your peers 
takes a very powerful human being whose story should be told a lot more. But it's also just aspirational because we live in a world where we think things need to stay the norm until somebody breaks it. Mm -hmm. And the arts often reflect society and then help transform society in a way that is um, more reflective of where society should be seen or go than the norm of just a button-down musical about some white dude, which there are a lot of. (laughs) And like, we don't need more, at least at this moment, unless it's the musical about the guy who helped finance Jeanette to then change the entire electoral scope. Um, So when when you think about um, what happens is this work is out there and helps define and bring more people around the value systems of these candidates, what do you hope to see from this? What do you hope for the music to really to bring about with a passion for others to really think? this is possible and that there is a moment of change that we can achieve. So um, we just performed this virtual musical for Corey Bush's fundraiser a couple days ago. And the most incredible thing was watching her watch us um, and how these words were impacting her and providing her hope and light and inspiration and also to see herself reflected, right? So towards the end of the musical, we actually um, show a slew. It's a music video, so a slew of women since Jeanette Rankin um, who have made an impact in our Congress and and to see herself be reflected, to see herself be a part of the future as well as represented in history. And then for her to quote the musical and, and, and saying, this is giving me, you know, one of the songs in the musical is called We Won't Sleep and like, I won't sleep until we make, you know, and, and her quoting the musical to have it affect her campaign. That's what it's for. I mean, it's for, yes, to get more folks elected who I believe in, but it's also to provide people that I believe in with inspiration and hope. And that's, that's all we can ask for. So what, what's going to happen with your manager of music rights representatives when that song We Won't Sleep or another one is played by every progressive candidate you help <laughs> in November. We're yeah, gonna throw like, a huge big party. <laughs> there's, there's just gonna be a way that you can literally just like flip through everyone's campaign acceptance speech and the song just plays through all like <laughs> hundred at once. Um, That's the dream. So when you think about the type of connections that uh, you need to move this forward, you know, besides obviously the progressive candidate candidates themselves, like what comes to mind for people to help amplify this? Mm, for this particular um uh, initiative. I mean, you just said it. I, I think it, one thing for me that I'm really excited about too is being really specific. So at first, we're, and what we have been so far is just being reaching out to folks um, who are supporting candidates in their local area or, or things um, that we're already kind of one hand away from. And we just did an ACLU um, Youth Institute Summit with a close to 200 um, high school students who are who scream as if Anthony Romero is Beyonce. So they're just very educated <laughs> high school students. And we did a very something similar to them and with them. And um, we got quite a few people who want to help us and join the Jeanette fam and, and all that. And one thing that I was saying, it'd be great to activate these high school students to be really specific. One thing that we want to see in November is the Senate flip, right? And so if we can be of assistance in specific races um, that are close, um, then uh, who may not necessarily be, I'm personally connected to, um, that's something that I really want to be a little bit more um, 
thoughtful uh, to to be to specify races that we can help. I think that's wonderful, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of data around where races are close because of the people we think will vote. There's a lot of difference in terms of the yeah. franchise voter, the new voter, or the newest one, which doesn't have its same de- um, demographic, but the fed up with feeling unsafe and unheard that mm. happens to be probably a majority of this country. And I yeah. think that being able to elevate that in the right way is incredible work. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's also never a bad thing if Tammy Duckworth and Corey Bush are obsessed with the musical, then that's not bad. No, either. absolutely. And, you, know, <laughs> you never know where it'll take it. I mean, eventually, hopefully for the full musical in the White House. Exactly. Uh, but only women and people of color allowed. Something like that, but just such a different standard. Um, So, you know, with these podcasts, I really like to focus on relational value. And one of the things that I have always found to be most effective is where people open up with vulnerabilities and they talk about what matters to them and what helped form who they are now. So, you know, as a fellow musician, I was somebody who I knew I had ability. I knew I wasn't going to be the best pianist or composer. That was clear. But I knew that I had a way to create passions with people through music. But what I hated was when people tried to prove they were the best at something. Mm. So I was um, a high school junior, sophomore actually, and I got a Hugh O'Brien Youth Leadership Scholar Award. And all of the state of Florida representatives, I never won like a top 10 like you, but we were invited to go to the Capitol in Tallahassee and meet all the other people that were dis- were distinguished of being youth leaders. Mm. And there was a party. I mean, it was a party for high school kids who were mostly awkward, especially me. And um, there was a girl who got up and started at this party just playing this upright piano. And then this guy, um, I don't know his name, but I always think of him as a douchebag, like sits down and tries to show her up. And it just bothered me because, yes, it was great he could play. He could play well. But why did he feel he had to marginalize somebody else who was sharing their passions? Mm. So I got up and I was like, I'm going to play a great piece. Everyone knows it. I started playing Pachelbel's Canon. And he starts scoffing at me doing it, but inserted in it, I put Crash, Smells Like Teen Spirit, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, Bobby McGee, Thriller, a whole bunch of things that like other people than him, because he was pretty dense, like didn't get. And (laughs) him judging me before I actually showed off, like ended up having him walk away. Then I gave the seat to this young woman who wanted to play more. So for me, that was always a formative moment because I was able to use my power and my sense of humor to make a difference for somebody who otherwise would have walked away, probably frustrated and humiliated because they didn't know how to fight back. Mm. And I used my power as as a musician to do that. Mm. Um, And I still, to this day, am trying to remember how I put Nirvana into Pachelbel's canon. (laughs) Because I did it just then, um, but but you know, obviously, this musical is one example. But where have you found the power of your art and your voice has been something that you could really lift others up? Mm. And yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, so, at the top of COVID, as you know, uh, I started a nonprofit with three other women 
Um, and we saw a huge, the reality that, uh, um, Vulnerable populations, specifically black and brown communities, are being disproportionately affected by COVID is no surprise, but that's the reality. And so we didn't know exactly what we needed to do, but we know that we needed to do something. And so two of my collaborators are uh, women that I've actually never met, but I talk to every single day. And so I'm like, oh, that's a true collaboration if we can start a 501c3 virtually. Um, And we've now since... uh, provided 519,000 masks across the country in, in seven different states. Um, and it's been really, really remarkable to see so many folks um, step up to the plate for in-kind donations or uh, monetary donations, and as well as uh, finding grassroots local organizations that already have a distribution plan and process to just really be the connector of, of DOTS. Um, But the reality for me of where it actually started from this idea is because I was frustrated with music and the arts. And I was like, I, this is, you know, prefacing not really what I believe in, but in that moment, because everything was pulled out from under me in terms of my plans for music, which when you finally are able to have a plan when it comes to music is like the most exciting thing because that never happens. And so for them to get pulled, I was like, you know, screw music, screw the arts. This is not essential. This is not what I want to be working on. I'm going to pivot. And then I realized as we started formulating this organization and as we started making these things happen, the connections and the network and the opportunities that I had were because of the arts. And surprisingly, well, I guess unsurprisingly, but um, I found a lot of similar faces and um familiar faces, I mean, sorry, familiar faces in this space um, because I had actually surrounded myself with really um, like-minded individuals that started to pivot in order to see, to find a need. And that means there were a lot of artists in these spaces as well. So I think it's really interesting, you know, me trying to turn away from the arts and deem it as non-essential actually um, ended up being the one that was able to help uh procure and distribute 519,000 masks. So That's incredible. I mean, I think a couple takeaways just in hearing you are, I mean, one, it's very hard for me to not think of you as an artist, first and foremost, artist and activist, but I don't go activist and artist because your voice is a powerful one. And there's something about the arts, right? Even like being in a big show like Hamilton, like in Hamilton, Chicago, it was still local to Chicago. It was still an audience that came to embrace that environment, even from wherever they came around the world. But theater originated for small communities to see a representation of their lives in their world. Mm-hmm. And there's something that artists understand about what's in their community that is very different than people who look at their community for commerce or for mm-hmm. geography, uh, because you're only finding out through theater how much of a mirror actually reflects in your audience every night when they like it or not and when they find something in it so to use the power of that voice and those friends and artists to address an issue that stopped broadway stopped Mm -hmm. film and tv Mm -hmm. and then put everyone at home to consume content but also not be safe like i think is a powerful one yeah yeah so i always like to end these interviews with a quote and i obviously chose a theater one for you because like how could i not um but but it's an interesting one because it's actually not from a play 
Hmm. It's a Uh-oh. quote because of a play. Oh. And the quote goes, if I knew if I knew who Godot was, I would have said so in the play. Because Samuel Beckett was just hounded for years and years, people wanting to know was Godot real or not? Who were they waiting for? Mm. And the whole journey of that, my father's done the play several times. The fact that the art makes people ask questions as opposed to give a prescribed answer is actually more important than if Beckett ever said later, this is who Godot is. Right. Because our the way that we hear it and we see it differently and then find commonality to discuss it together. Like this is where my theater background comes into connectivity and relationships. Because before you had a Freudian slip, you said similar faces. And it's not that the people look the same. It's mm. that they see things the same. Mm. Mm-hmm. A- and when we live eventually in a world where we're okay not knowing the answer because we ask, we like the people also asking the question, that's where I think we find greater value. Yeah. Um, and I always just loved when I first read that. Um, it's also just personal because my father made us name our dog Beckett. So <laughs> at seven, I learned about Samuel Beckett in a way other people didn't because I said his dog, I said his, the name of the dog, you know, probably hundreds of times a day as it used to like run its butt across the carpet and drive my dad mad. And he's like, he's like, I got to name the dog, but the dog never loved me. <laughs> um, so it, I always think of that of, of, of where where the play where the reality is and then where the conversation starts from it as opposed to is concluded because of it yeah that's beautiful oh my gosh all your interpretation is even more beautiful well that's what I think that's what I think that's where I think quotes matter if you leave it as I love that quote it, it, it's about giving you a perspective that is your interpretation of any quote yeah. But they do solidify a complex thought into at least a simple action. Right, right. So how about so, yourself? Any any quotes that obviously aren't from Jeanette? Unless yeah. you want to share from Jeanette that you live I your th- life by? I think it's so interesting. I think I, I um, it's going to sound really pessimistic, but it's actually what I live my life by. Um, it is what it is, so fake it till you make it. And... Um, it sounds very pessimistic, especially for a person who is defaultly very positive. Um, but I, I, I think one of the biggest discoveries, and I, I've had this belief in for a very long time, but the biggest discovery is when I figure out that people kind of, as you get closer and closer to the top, don't really know what they're doing. And this isn't like a negative thing. That's just the reality is that we are all just figuring it out. And there isn't some destination that you're going to get to that you completely understand everything. And you are now the, 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 the God of understandment, you know, of enlightenment. So I think that when I started to realize that like life is going to be the way that it is, it's whether, and, and I'm going to have to see the positive spin in it. And I'm going to have to work my hardest. And, um, and again, this sounds negative, but like fake it. Like it's all like, I don't know what I'm doing half of the time. I didn't know what it meant to write a musical. I didn't know about what the different levels of PPE. I don't know about any of this stuff, but the reality is if you surround yourself with awesome people and people that you trust and you have a mission and you're doing it for, um, in, in, in authentic reasons, then I think you're going to be able to figure it out. Um, and so that's my quote. (laughs) I don't take it as pessimistic as, 
you do, perhaps. Um, mm. Maybe it's just my own interpretation of somebody who also just lives by that because it's not about um, your ability to do something. It's about how you approach something new and tackle that. Yeah. Uh, but I think, you know, obviously, like a, a lot of your early career came from being in you know a couple prescribed contests where you had to fit a norm. Right. And I know from a lot of your value system came after after not finding that as satisfactory as figuring out your own value system and right. your own way to be heard. Because you can fake it in terms of building a PPE relief nonprofit with some other people that you've never met in person. Although met in person no longer has the same value as it used That's to be. True. <laughs> um, but the way that you build relationships, your warmth and your charisma and how that translates to others and how you've used your voice to constantly elevate others. How is it not possible that you can simply turn that into working with the right local groups to get people to volunteer something that's their passion and help others because of it? Like, isn't that what a performer does every time they grace the stage and they bring people to a collective understanding? So like what's what's faking it with that? Because what you're really doing is just saying, I'm gonna use my voice for a greater value than me by encouraging others to join you with that. Right. Isn't that authenticity? Right. True. Yeah. No, I think and then I think the way that I interpret faking in this particular quote is more of you may not f- think that you understand or know how to do it. And just lean into uh trying to figure it out versus waiting until you know everything before you can act well the people who wait to know everything till they can act are often called cowards um (laughs) they're often people who accept the status quo because change scares them yeah the people who are fearless the performers who use their stage fright as energy as opposed to something that's debilitating because i don't know a single performer at an a level like you you might have complete confidence in your abilities, but that nervousness is actually something one uses. Yeah, absolutely. If you think you had your best night ever, that's when the audience thinks you had your worst. Yeah. And yeah. your worst night is the audience's best night because you had to keep <laughs> trying to quote fake it. So um, I am so grateful for all the work that you continue to do. Mm-hmm. I hope that I and my network and the people listening are able to support um, your work with COVID relief to be able to connect you to more and more candidates that can really help weave in a more positive version of our future mm. and that everyone will actually see coming to pass every single progressive candidate playing your song. <laughs> and then like have like the one guy that plays like Bon Jovi being like, wait, what? I missed the party. Um, May we live in a world for that. So thank you so much for being on this today. Um, And thank you for our friendship and the great work that you do. David, I'm always so grateful for you. The couple of years that we've known each other, you've always been a big support and light. And I'm very honored to be on this podcast with you and honored to call you a friend. Great. Well, thank you so much. On the next podcast of Orchestrated Relationships, stay tuned for Brian Gaster, who discusses his pursuit of learning and giving through long-term relationship building. We'll close this podcast with Ari Afsar's incredible song, We Won't Sleep. We've been trying, woman to child, could make it easy, could live in denial. 
We saw the world end, but it keeps spinning. Whether we're losing, whether we're winning, and they start to fade while we're wide awake and feeling alive. And say you're not playing, 'cause we know the stakes. I'm losing the light. We won't sleep. Dreamed in color when I was younger. Painted a picture, one hand in the other. Now I see shadows outside the window, but I won't close them. No, not when we know. Now they start to fade. Sleep.